welcome to the Money Wise Women Show, brought to you by MoneyMorphosis.com. Are you ready to be inspired to upgrade your financial skills? Listen to feminine leaders sharing practical advice and valuable insights. Shift your money mindset, improve communication skills, and learn financial management tips. Although we do not provide investment advice, you can check out MoneyMorphosis.com. That's money com to find simple ways to boost your true wealth. Welcome. This is Crystal Arnold, your hostess of the Money Wise Women Show and founder of Money Morphosis. Hmm. You may be wondering, isn't there a better way to uh, cooperate together with our money? And isn't there a more satisfying way I could invest my money, grow my wealth, and create a quality of life that is both satisfying and where I know I am impacting uh, the world in a positive way. And this is possible. Um, Our guest here today, Marion Moore, um, is a living example of uh, what leadership looks like in a new economy. Um, what I like to call a more intimate economy, where we are more connected and in alignment with our values, uh, with our financial decisions, and where there is integrity, trust, transparency um, in all of our exchanges, and where we really put the relationships at the forefront of our financial uh, choices. And so let's uh, dive right in. I'll tell you a little bit more about Marion Moore. She creates and facilitates gatherings where participants engage at a deep and relational um, level. And she finds great pleasure and expression by supporting people to connect more with themselves and others as a route to finding optimum expression of who they are and what they have. For the last decade, her work has focused mostly on partnering with people of wealth who want to change how their money works in the world. She is a producer and lead facilitator of the Play Big and Lead with Land. She is also a leadership coach and advisor to people seeking to activate their wealth toward their mission. This year, as a senior advisor to RSF Social Finance with Joel Solomon and Akaya Winwood, she will curate and facilitate RSF's Integrated Capital Fellowship, which is how I originally found her work. So excited to have you here with us, uh, Marion, and hear your wisdom on these topics of wealth and our relationship with money. And I would love to begin just by hearing some of, um, well, beginning with what excites you most about the work that you do. Thank you, Crystal, for having me on. And for doing this work at all. It seems like a very simple idea to talk about money as, you know, increasing our intimacy with our relationship with money. But as anybody listening knows, that is not 
the dominant paradigm of money. Um, money. So I guess I like uh, what excites me most. You mentioned the play big gathering that I facilitate and which I co-founded and developed with a, a standout philanthropist leader named Carol Newell, who's from Vancouver, British Columbia. And she had been in, you know, she'd inherited a, a boatload of money herself. And she had the idea of using, you know, considering risk and return in a really different way. And she was a pioneer in this notion of investing with your values and towards your mission. So at a certain point, after being anonymous for many years, she wanted to use her story to encourage other people of wealth to move their money more generously into the world through investment and philanthropy and just get creative and get out of the box. And so at these play big gatherings, um, what excites me to get back to your question, what excites me the most is when I see things shifting for people. Um, and I'm sure you find that in your work too. And given that it's called money morphosis, <laughs> mm-hmm. but uh, you know, the way we do that is that the format is really based on two main things. One is storytelling. So, I choose people who are in deep inquiry and, you know, working with their wealth in a different way, philanthropically, investment, integrate, you know, some way where they have a strong vision and are moving in an unconventional way, their money toward that vision and mission. And so we have a a collection of, uh, usually there are about 24 people and, um, a few people tell in-depth stories. So that is sort of one layer of people listen and they're like, oh, oh, I didn't, oh, I, that really, oh, I could imagine that for myself. And then we do um, facilitated peer coaching. So people get loving attention and ears and um, counsel with their intimate relationship with their money, which always obviously involves other human beings as well. And we provide one-on-one consultations. We have a handful of people who have been in this world of what we call integrated capital, or another way to think of it is a bit of a mouthful, all these words, right? Whole portfolio activation to mission, which was a phrase that Carol Um, made up to describe the work that she had done. I'm going to pause for a minute because, you know, I can just get going. (laughs) (laughs) But I'll I'll let you guide me how you want. Oh, my. I just love your passion and, you know, all the experience that you have and all the um, transformation that you have facilitated for people and, uh, and change that's been affected um, let's talk about yeah, that. And it's trans- really key that, that the facilitation part, right? So I got a great compliment at one of my early play bigs. There was a woman who had a lot of extra money and she'd come, you know, but she was a doctor in her profession. And she said, Marion, you're like, a, it's like delivering a baby. It's as much what you don't do as what you do. 
So that's what's happened over the years with Play Big. We've really evolved this design that sort of optimizes this relational level, you know, where people are connecting with themselves and with each other through these stories, through this peer coaching. And what I began to say in my last um, monologue was um, the way I just over the years, and especially this year, it's over a three-day period, three-and-a-half-day period. I notice that change starting to happen, like, oh, they get the idea, and then they get attention on their, on their situation. And it's like having an environment. It's like an oasis away from the dominant paradigm that tells us, it tells us a few things. It tells us that the purpose of money is to make more money. And that is insane um, to me. Yeah. And so what we what we have created is a space where people who are legitimate finance people in the world, but are um, have sort of, as my colleague who runs RSF Social Finance likes to say, people who have jumped the rails, you know, mm-hmm. who have had the light bulb moment of oh. We can use the tools of finance, but it doesn't need to be in service of just having money make money, but it can be in service of supporting, um, you know, endeavors that uh, we want to see grow in the world. Mm. So, get, you say- so when, you, when, when you were outside of that dominant paradigm and you just even two, three days for these people to be in a quote, safe space where they hear a different point of view that, you know, and paths that have been walked. So that's the whole thing with the stories, right? Mm. Oh, they did that. And they thought, you know, and they don't have a hundred million dollars anymore. And they seem to have survived. Mm. One time I took a client, we were looking for a wealth advisor and we had, we went to a wealth advisor to, help her choose who she wanted on her team because she wanted to do investment differently. And they gave a little PowerPoint presentation and they came upon the slide that you would be shocked at how many people have this slide in their deck. And it says shirt sleeves to shirt sleeves in three generations. Mm. And that is meant to be a cautionary tale. Like, you don't want to lose that money. Mm. And um, I think of it differently. And I can, I can go on about that. Um, well, I like. think what, what's really, uh, yes, there's, there's so much there, you know, that the purpose of money is not just to make more money. And, uh, and really, you know, how, I, I love how you support people in, in finding their why and their purpose and discovering their mm-hmm. narrative and, uh, and just having that, uh, as my three-year-old likes to say, um, pause game. Like, <laughs> we're so wrapped up uh-huh. in the game when he needs to, like, mm. you know, tell me some, some different instructions and, and things are happening, like that pause. So I'm curious, well, you know, what do people discover is more to the purpose of money and what happens for people? 
So one thing I just want to name as part of this, so the work that I do is with people who have way more money than they need for their own livelihood. So that's just a whole different world, and I just want to acknowledge that at the outset. I think there are, you know, definite things to extrapolate for people, you know, who have, who are not in that situation. But so right now I'm just going to talk about the people that come to play big who, you know, have tens of millions of dollars that they don't need for their own livelihood. Hmm. So, but everything out in the world tells them that they're a fool. They're an idiot. If they don't, quote, make a good investment and making a good investment means making more money in that paradigm, right? Mm -hmm. So I'll tell you the story of a woman named Sally Calhoun who had developed a software company with her husband and they, they, she likes to say they were lucky, not smart, but they, you know, someone came and wanted to buy it for way more money than they ever could have imagined and so they said yes and it was at the height of the dot-com boom and off they went with their however much money but way more than they would need and she came she met Don Schaefer she was really interested in um, uh, holistic management and soil regeneration this is you know this is uh, a term that um, people may have heard about through a guy named Alan Savory but it's a way to use livestock, cattle, and the way you um, work with them on the land actually doesn't deplete the land, but it helps to regenerate. So she's passionate about native grasses and soil regeneration. So she came to play big um, because Don Schaefer from RSF said, hey, Sally, hate to break it to you, but all that money that you have sitting on Wall Street, you know, in the stock market could be doing something else that would be very relevant to your mission. So she's now at the point where she has a team that is making, doing philanthropic giving as well as business investment to help toward this very particular mission of regenerating soil. So it might be, you know, so that a grass-fed beef slaughterhouse is, you know, it might be investing in something like that or Mm some other philanthropic thing to do with native grasses or anyway, there are any number of, so, and she considers, and this is really interesting, Crystal, she considers her investment company and her um, foundation and her ranch. um, They're just different entities because of what the IRS tax laws, you know, so it's just optimized for tax laws, but it's all under her mission, which is, she calls it her no regrets initiative. Hmm. But anyway, you had asked, um, what do some people discover? And then, you know, there, it might just be, um, let me see, there was a young guy this year, he's 27 years old, and he's trying to learn finance to you know, in his dad's real estate company. And he got to hear, you know, a story of a guy who's 10 years older than he is, who is doing this radical wealth, focus on wealth redistribution, who's chosen four different geographies 
where he's trying to help organizations on the ground develop their own financial ecosystem, you know, sort of structures so that they can build their own wealth and keep it in their region. So it's sort of, you know, learning different strategies that people have thought of when they have that kind of money. The guy that his name is um, the old, the one who's doing this strategy with four different geographies is named Farhad Ebrahimi, and he has the Chorus Foundation. And he's just brilliant and so articulate about how he wants to redistribute wealth. So it's really, Crystal, about getting these off-the-beaten-path stories, lifting those up and spreading them. Mm. I love that. And the inspiration we receive from one another um, when we share about money. And as I'm sure you've seen as well as I have, how much shame and guilt and fear there is around uh, people of all social class and economic um, situations. And it is so powerful to, uh, to work through that. And, you know, I'm curious what you've seen shift recently. Uh, You know, we've seen such wealth consolidation, say in the last couple decades and uh, just kind of curious what, what have you learned from all of your, you know, decades here working on issues of class and money and, and kind of take us into what potential you see for kind of more equitable redistribution or transformation that's happening here around the economy and money? It's a big question. Take it wherever you want. Yeah, it's a big question. So I've been um, working very specifically with this sort of shifting the particularly that whole idea of having your investment, you know, be aligned with your mission And, you know, I've certainly learned a lot and changed a lot. I used to think that you had to prove that you could make money, market rate return, doing good. But I don't, you know, I'm not, that doesn't interest me so much now. But overall what's happening is there's the acceleration of people getting interested in what they are now calling impact investing, a term I'm not crazy about because as, colleagues point out every all investment has impact so let's talk about what kind of impact so mm-hmm. um so there's you know and now big firms like jp morgan and um you know and blackrock and you know they're getting on board so it's sort of like uh my friend joel solomon who just wrote a book called the clean money revolution which is a great personal story and overview of this movement And um, we have been seeing together how this movement is, is, oh, Joel likes to say that money now is sort of like how organic food was in the 80s. You know, many of us were eating it, but, you know, it wasn't at Walmart. Um, But anyway, so now there's the greenwashing phase that's happening, and so we have you know, it's both the opportunity of all these people coming into consciousness about the possibilities of investing in enterprises that are meaningful and are turning the world where we want. Um, but, but we still have to be really vigilant in asking the questions um, 
if if we are gaining money on money, you have to really look at who or what is losing. And in general, you know, in the dominant economy, that's going to be either people or planet or both. So there's a lot that has to happen about, you know, how our tax system and how who gets rewarded and what gets rewarded. But the good news is that people are waking up. Opportunity and challenge at the same time is what are they going to wake up to? Like, where are the pathways? And since the, you know, it's not anything, we don't have mutual funds that you can hit a button on your computer, you know? Um, so it's just, it's a little bit the wild west in terms of, you know, there's no, everybody comes to play big uh, crystal and they want to just go, Oh, give me the menu. Just tell me what to do. And it's not, it's not like that. And it's a, it's a personal journey. Mm. Speaking of personal journeys, I wonder, um, I'd like to tell you just a little bit about how I came into this work. Oh, I would love to hear that story. Yes. Thank you. So, and, and part of why I'm able to do this work with wealthy people is that both of my parents, were people who had inherited. My great-grandfather had made crazy amounts of money sort of in the early capitalist, you know, robber baron phase, the turn of the last century. And my dad was ashamed of all of that, and he thought business was bad, and he went into the priesthood. And he and my mom were very inspired by the work of Dorothy Day and the Catholic Worker Movement. And so When I was born, they were living in a slum parish in Jersey City and really, you know, using the church as a a way to serve and love and, you know, make community and advocate for poor people. And then I was mostly raised in Washington, D.C. during the civil rights and peace movements. And, you know, my parents were very engaged in social um, justice activism and And so that was, so there was that, but then we would go to the Adirondacks where we had thousands of acres in a family place and the grandmother's house who had butlers and maids and, you know, and we didn't live like that. And my parents were kind of, you know, had turned their back on that and yet they were still of it. Right. And so, when I first started, so then when I turned 21, my mother had died when I was a teenager, so I didn't have that much guidance because my dad was pretty busy and he had nine kids. And so when I turned 21, basically my dad sent me down to the bank to learn from the trust officer about my trust fund. And there was not one, not one conversation about what that money had to do with the values that I was raised with. Mm. And so I was basically closeted with this money, which, you know, relative to the people with whom I work now was a very small amount, but relative to my peers, I was working producing music and all my friends were struggling musicians and artists. You know, I, I was in the closet. And then it was Mm. in my early thirties that I found an organization called the threshold foundation And that was a national network of social change philanthropists. And it was 
a revelation and liberation to me, and it was what opened the door to this work for me. And that, um, so that was 27 years ago. Mm. So there are, you know, and, and, and people who have that experience of feeling isolated and connected, and they, there must be another way, but well, I can't talk to my friends about my money because they'll want my money or they'll think I'm bad or, you know, because, yeah, because, like with my dad, who grew up thinking money is bad, business is bad, it just became sort of a black and white. And I sort of feel like what's, as I try to understand the work-life path that I have chosen, it's, I recognize it as seeking to integrate these two legacies of the activist and the inheritor. Mm. Wow, that's powerful. I just invite listeners to uh, to pause and, and really breathe in that story and feel, you know, that, that journey, that courage it took to integrate your own wealth and to really um, claim it and be willing to align it with your values and then the way that you guide others because you've been through that journey. Um, what, well, and a what lot of it, it has, the, the reason that it, I was able to come out of the closet was because I had community. And that's one of the yeah. big issues with, as you point out, the taboo of money. Yeah. And one of the questions that you, so, so this, this community, the Threshold Foundation is, you know, 250 plus people who come together twice a year and basically there's there's a foundation that's associated with it, you know, and that gives away over a million dollars a year. And and then there's sort of a learning community. Um, and it's very based in a sort of shared sense of spiritual purpose without it being religious. But that was that was what it takes. And that that's why I was so willing to say yes to Carol Newell when she wanted to do this more focused kind of um, set of convenings that were about integrating the investment side and the philanthropy, because I know the power of breaking that isolation and learning from each other. Mm. And I wouldn't say that all of a sudden I integrated my wealth. No, no, no. <laughs> Long journey. Because also, as I mentioned, the structures, you know, the structures haven't been there and then, you're also trained, you know, to be fearful and, um, you know, and to, uh, well, anyway, it was a journey just to say, I mean, and yes, I appreciate your appreciation because over time, you know, yes. and, and I, you know, I, I look at some of my clients who have so much money and I have a lot of sympathy how to figure out how either how to give it away or how to um, invest it in a way that is is loving of planet and people. Mm. I love, and I'm it's so, so unhealthy, you, like you pointed out. Right, and and that isolation, I really see um, that separation is the cause of poverty and it's our connection that actually creates value our connection with ourselves our bodies our spirit 
our um, own planet, our connection, of course, with um, other humans and the way that we relate. And so I just, you know, continue to ask, can money be something that brings us closer together instead of drives us apart? Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, have you had experiences of money bringing together I have. Yeah, I would say, you know, when I'm able to um, be in the, be curious and be willing to um, have conversations that are open and I'm vulnerable and, you know, really either asking for what I need or sharing about, you know, my feelings um, around uh, financial situation, then the outcomes mm-hmm. are much more likely to be uh, positive. Mm-hmm. And, and that's why I think teaching people, um, I am so passionate about teaching emotional intelligence, communication and negotiation skills. Mm-hmm. And it is so difficult for people of um, any amount of wealth to, uh, to really discuss money openly. And yeah, so it's yeah. big to have community and, Break through that isolation. Yeah, I, I had a really interesting other experience that taught me a huge amount, and that is that, as I mentioned, I inherited money, but when I my kids were young, I lived off that money instead of going to work, and their dad wasn't making very much money, and so um, one thing led to another, and, oh, I have to figure out how to earn money. You know, I didn't have enough to support me for the rest of my life. So I I was oh I had earned money, you know, when I was in my twenties and twenties and early thirties, but I had been away from it for a while and I felt like, oh, I don't know what to do or how to do. I met a woman named and went to the classes of a woman here in Minneapolis, Saint Paul, named Ruth Hayden. Have you ever do you know of her work? No. So she works with women and money, and she is also a radio person. And um, she did, on the first session, I went, and she does a whole process, and she has books, too, Hayden, H-A-Y-D-E-N. And her um, process um, led us through um, examining what our training was around money. And how did that lead to our beliefs about money? And then how did our beliefs lead to our behavior with money? So, you know, she does this different, you know, write about, you know, your relationship with your mother and remembering, you know, when did you ask for money? What happened? Or, you know, just does a bunch of writing prompts to get you to sort of examine. So what I realized through this process was that my training was that money magically appears because it did. It wasn't like, I mean, my dad didn't make very much money as a priest and a bishop. Mm-hmm. Um, money magically appears, but then they had had multiple generations of sort of this upper class attitude where you have money, so it's kind of... Um, unseemly to earn it you know that's Mm -hmm. what working people do 
And this was not anything that my parents said, but it was somehow what I picked up and not even consciously at all. But I realized that, you know, it was part of that money is dirty or money is bad, you know, whatever. There was a lot, just like you said in the beginning about money and all the shame, you know, different stories in different families that Mm -hmm. end up shaping. So that's another thing is examining the beliefs, right? And examining, increasing your, just like you said, the emotional intelligence, your own self-awareness. So what happened, Crystal, is the next thing that she does, Ruth Hayden, is um, says, okay, what do you, how do you wish you had been trained? Or, or what kind of training would be helpful to you now? And so I thought about that and I said, okay, what am I always going to, if I need to earn money, what am I always going to show up for? And for me, I'm always going to show up for my personal growth. Mm-hmm. And so I, I made an affirmation that was um, money is an important part of my becoming. And in my mind, that sort of brings money into the party of my self-discovery and my, you know, my journey, my personal journey, my destiny path. And, and it worked for me and it really shifted things. And um, so I would say in addition to that wonderful thing, like you said, of being vulnerable and having conversations and is also knowing learning about your own training and beliefs and how that, in, how that informs your behavior and that you can change that. Mm-hmm. Yes, we are not victims to our genetics as we once thought or to our beliefs. And I think absolutely the money mindset is uh, so crucial to, to have these mindfulness and, and techniques to rewire some of those foundational stories and, and the lie of scarcity, which is, you know, I am not enough. There will never be enough that is just um, embedded in our very money system in the way that you know, money is created. Uh, Yes. So overcoming the beliefs of scarcity is crucial. And then the other thing that we talk a lot about, um, whether it's for someone with tens of millions of dollars or, you know, someone, any, anybody. And for me is that, and it doesn't have to be perfect. And so uh, along the lines of investing, this was really sweet. So I had, some money that was invested in the stock market with social screens, but I just didn't like it because I didn't know what it was doing. And even if it had social screens, it was really companies that I wouldn't shop there much less. Why am I trying to make money from their enterprise? Right. So I decided to take that money out and to open my own self-directed IRA And then I'm like, oh, so I get to figure out what to invest in with this money. Well, oh, what am I going to do? Here I try to help other people, and what am I going to do? And literally that week, I was in my local community co-op and bumped into the woman who's been working there for all the decades I've shopped there. She said, oh, Marion, 
do you know that we're doing an expansion of the wedge and we, we're looking for investment capital? I wonder if you know anybody who would be interested. Hmm. So I was like, I would. So that was, uh, you know, a really great sort of response from the universe to my hmm. inquiry about, you know, so it's sort of like just get started. Yes. Oh, I love that. Take a step and the universe responds and, sometimes mysterious ways. And it really is um, so powerful. Let's take a quick break here. And then when we come back, um, I'd love to explore more about kind of, you know, uh, accounting for non-financial returns and some of your approaches for, you know, creating investments that create value that is um, monetary as well as um, other, other sometimes non-measurable results. So we will be back in just a moment. Are you one of millions of women paying unnecessary bank fees and painfully high interest? Really, aren't the bankers rich enough? Don't let your hard-earned money disappear without enjoying it. Find out how at discoveryourtruewealth.com. Take simple, practical steps to better manage your finances. Breathe a sigh of relief because you will gain greater confidence with your money in this free training. Because you deserve to nurture yourself, not hand over more money to the banks. When you plug those money leaks, more resources are available to create a vibrant future. Register now for this exclusive training at discoveryourtruewealth.com. So we are back with guest Marion Moore. And such a fascinating conversation about, um, you know, just perspectives on money and, and creating uh, wealth. And uh, just wanted to, you know, explain, I've, I've created this true wealth template because um, I want to acknowledge that there is, of course, financial wealth in all its traditional senses, but then that we also have three other areas of inner wealth, relational, and environmental. And so to account for our inner well-being and our gifts and health and, um, you know, our unique genius, and of course, our relationships, as we mentioned earlier, um, are so important to a sense of well-being and vitality. And then our environment around us, our physical environment, emotional environment, and of course, the earth itself, which sustains us. And so um, just wanted to hear, you know, the work um, I, I really see RSF Social Finance as a leader in this field of creating um, other investment options. Um, and just curious your thoughts on the importance of having a more holistic sense of wealth and well-being and, and then aligning our money um, with things which may have financial returns, but also have other types of value creation. Yeah, first of all, just I love your true wealth template and it's putting money in its proper place. Um, mm -hmm. There's, you know, colleagues of mine, I have a, a colleague who's been, a work, you know, trying to raise money for a beautiful uh, a project in southern Minnesota that trains Latino and Latina farmers and 
regenerates the soil and in the raising of chickens, but raising the chickens in relationship to hazelnuts and this and that. Anyway, it's a beautiful design and she needed to, um, we've been in conversation for a long time about this kind of uh, money getting, um, just having, being able to be at the head of the table when it doesn't need, it shouldn't be at the head of the table. Um, uh, Marjorie Kelly, who's a great thinker about money and ownership, she has a book called The Divine Right of Capital. And I love the phrase just because it shows how we have that. That is the template of our culture, which is, I'm sure, part of why you made your true wealth template. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think for one thing, it is to put money back in its place. I think all of us can do that every day and question. And this is, I know um, you mostly speak or maybe exclusively speak with women, but, um, and I'm veering off topic just a little bit because it's what's coming to mind. One of the things that I've had to get over as a woman, and I'm not you know, I don't have finance training, um, but we, you know, in this culture, so it's the old story of, and uh, you know, pat a pat on the head. Well, you don't really understand, you know. Mm-hmm. And I have clients like this who would say a woman who has trustees because her her money is still in trust, and she says, "I want to invest differently," and it's a lot of patronizing talk, you you know, because those other values, the inner, the relational, the environmental are not in their proper place in the business model of that trust company, let's say. And I really want to encourage women to, you know, it's sort of like the emperor's new clothes, you know, the emperor has no clothes. You know, it took the little kid to say that for people to acknowledge the truth that they all were seeing, but they were pretending um, to just fall in line with what the emperor believed (laughs) or wanted them to believe. So anyway, um, so you were asking about, you know, sort of other benefits. Well, you know, there is that that you know that native american saying you've probably heard sort of when the trees are gone and the rivers are polluted you know you can't eat the money so when you think of particularly now in this really scary time where our future looks so uncertain as a species how could you keep not taking into account the health of the soil, the health of the rivers that, you know, and I, um, which leads me to think about how important indigenous leadership is right now, because they've been dealing with an assault on their um, historically very balanced point of view, you know, their true wealth template culturally. And I think it's not uh coincidence that we're seeing things like standing rock and water protectors get attention because of how far we've gone uh, to the other side. So that's another little 
thing is listen to the indigenous leadership and follow. Um, Mm -hmm. And then just, it's so rewarding to invest in something that, you know, you can see the benefit and it isn't about the money and it's about, you know, those immigrant farmers learning how to farm the, I mean, raise the chickens in a way that is regenerating the soil. Like what's not to love about Mm. all of those other benefits. Mm-hmm. Um, and for me, uh, I think, you know, I, I've struggled with this question of financial return and what kind of financial return, you know, is it legitimate to get, um, you know, 10% or 15% because you're investing in solar at a, you know, oh, solar is great. Anyway, it, you know, struggling with the, the idea of what is a, a, a return that makes some sense in terms of it not at being sustainable, right? So mm-hmm. I asked a forest, um, a, a friend of mine who works in forestry, and I was like, so at what, what is the percent of growth of yield of the forest that you manage? And he said 3% per year, 3 or 4%. Wow. And I was like, okay, okay, that makes some sense. You know, and it's obviously not as simple as that, but Mm. I'm not personally, even though it might be nice, I'm not personally looking for my money to make big money because I, even though it's, you know, what is one person, oh, is it going to hurt if I'm invested in a mutual fund that, as well, I just don't want to be part of that, and um, so yeah, that really brings up uh, like that question of what is enough and how we're really grappling with that individually. And as Lynn Twist talks about right. it in her book, Soul of Money, the sufficiency, and um, I feel like that is a crucial question for each one of us to ask what is enough and how can. Um, yeah, how how can I navigate all, all of these options and and choices and really determine what that barometer is for, for myself? Yeah, yeah, because um, I'm just, I, I, it doesn't make sense um, to be able to, this is a finite world. I mean, even though, I mean, there's a finite amount of earth and water and, you know, even though we can, we love to talk about abundance, <laughs> mm-hmm. but we have to protect what we have. Yes. And so yes. this whole focus on infinite growth doesn't make any sense. Right. Let's talk a little bit about um, passing down wealth and our legacies and, you know, why you think intergenerational exchange is important. I've heard just how, how much of people's financial wealth is not passed down in the way that they'd like because they aren't planning ahead, having the meaningful conversations and personal reflection time. And, and so it's not really, um, you know, making the impact and creating the legacy they'd like. So tell me a little bit, um, any dynamics you've witnessed or um, things people Mm -hmm. can do to create a legacy of true wealth. 
So that's a big question. And, you know, on one end of the spectrum is people who have so much money and there's sort of the assumption that they would leave it to their children. Um, And I once asked Peter Buffett to come and speak at Play Big because Warren Buffett did not leave money to his children on purpose because he wanted them to make their own way. Now, later in life, he gave them each a $1 billion foundation to run, so that's another story. But um, I don't think that inherited money, besides maybe an amount that sort of helps you with your first house or a health care fund or that kind of thing, or, you know, some very specific limited amount, because I don't think it was beneficial for me or my sense of self-worth to um, have inherited the money. That's not to say I'm not grateful, you know, but it's complicated. And here's an interesting thing. When some of the people who come to play big, who have uh, made their own money or, you know, sold a business, cashed out entrepreneur, that kind of thing, one of their main takeaways is, holy sh! I better, um, I better go back and revisit my will. I don't think I want to leave twenty million dollars to my children because I see what it's done to all these people in this room. You know, um, on one end of it. On the other, um, I think it really just fits in with your. Um, your what you're promoting, Crystal, which is having conversations about money. I many years ago, right after 2008, and, and um, my I decided to get my kids together who were just teenagers because I knew they were hearing a lot about money in the world, and there was a lot of fear around, and so I made time to I just told them everything about my money, about what I was making, what I had inherited, you know, what I had left, what they might get. Um, And just to be, you know, transparent and have them sort of have a clue instead of it continuing that legacy of it just being this mysterious, opaque thing. And so I've tried to continue that conversation with them. And it's interesting for me because since I, when I was their age, had inherited money and didn't have to work in the beginning, even though I did work, um, I was worried that I wouldn't know how to raise kids who would have to be self-sufficient. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's been that's been an interesting thing. Um, turns out, I so far so good. <laughs> They're in their twenties now, um, but. I don't know if I even began to answer that question that you posed. That is, um, I, I love that piece about how you shared openly with your children and some of the struggles of people who do have inheritance and uh, the, the, I can imagine the relief where people kind of get it organized, you know, and, and really feel like certain that their will and trust and everything is, is set up in a way that won't cause greater conflict and division and suffering in their family, right? Well, and I think transparency is the way to go. I mean, so many people you hear that they 
you know, they didn't find out what they were going to have in their life until after their parent died. They thought it was going to be one thing. But, you know, like, why keep it a secret? Hmm. Um, and also just one thing on that, you know, inherit, I, you know, part of why I keep talking about that is it's the experience that I had and it's the people that I work with. So, and, you know, I, when I talk to my friends who don't have inherited wealth um, and I tell them things like that, they're like, oh, I never really thought of that, you know, because hmm. cry me a river, right? Oh, right. I have $10 million. Right <laughs> um, so that leads to that sense of isolation. And, right. But also I like to just debunk that that is always a gift. It's not always a gift. I have seen so many people that, you know, there's, yeah, just bad, that that their self-esteem really suffers and their own self-actualization suffers because of having inheritance and not having good training with the inheritance. It doesn't always happen. I think if there's really good parenting and conversation and understanding and and a real focus on what will your livelihood be regardless of the money. Mm. So what is your personal legacy that you would like to leave? (laughs) You mean um, to my children, to the world, to the, you know, what? However you feel like that might be a useful yeah, what might be useful for people to hear. That's so interesting because, you know, we just did this. Uh, we have, are developing this, uh, as you know, Crystal, this Integrated Capital Fellowship, which is about, I just do one minute on that, which is mm-hmm. it's about training people, able, preparing people to be able to work in this new way of thinking about capital in an integrated way that's mission-oriented. Um, but we ha- on the um, application we say you know how would you like you know what your life what would you how would you like your life's work to be remembered and like oh no now you're going to ask me <laughs> so my legacy well it's kind of easy it's really about love hmm. and that it, and you know like. Here, I just, I have a little thing on my desk, which when I was figuring out about my own um, work as a facilitator, I said, I was describing it to a coach. What is it that you do? He said, well, I said, leaning on faith, I make sure everything is in order, set the tone, hold the space, keep things moving, and weave the story, and all of that infused with my little secret, the understanding the power of love. Wow. Oh, I get goosebumps. <laughs> That's because you understand the power of love. Yeah. So... Yeah, that's what it's all about. And and usually love and money don't get to be in the same room, right? So mm. how can we, you know, do this true wealth template like you have? Right. And and, and I like they, to say bringing the heart back into money. And, and it is, mm-hmm. um, yes, open reframing people's story and understanding of, 
you know, what money is and, uh, you know, responsibility, power, and, and love that it represents. Mm-hmm. Hmm. What else would you like to share with us? I'll just open the space for um, you. Let's see. Well, um, I guess, you know, that, you know, spinning off from this, knowing, understanding the power of love and, and thinking as I've been thinking about the, um, the work with the Integrated Capital Fellowship, and that is that we are emphasizing as much as the practical work of, you know, how do you do, how do you structure a loan and how do you, um, is the relationship with yourself and the power dynamics around money and really understanding that because without that you can't navigate power and money and and I think that's part of what enables me to do the work that I do is that I've done a lot of my own work around my own class status historically and my own relationship as I shared about money. The other thing I can tell you uh, ever so briefly is one of the other pieces of work that has emerged from the uh, from the play big is that woman whom I mentioned, Sally Calhoun, whose work is all about soil remediation and soil regeneration, um, is I do a gathering with her at her ranch in California called Lead with Land. And it's for people of means who have land and a land-based mission. So it's sort of interesting because it's similar the way that money is thought of as something that is supposed to make more money, land has been commodified in our culture as well, Uh, you know, and people, you know, let's take all we can from the land and, you know, people neglect to feed it so that this is part of a movement to, you know, put, to regenerate that land. So we do a convening to help people again, be in a space that has a different point of view and to affirm and encourage people with their healthy impulses, even if it doesn't fit into, you know, but how are you going to make a business out of it? Um, Mm -hmm. You know, a profitable business, because everybody knows farming can't really be that. Um, (laughs) And then I would also just say, if you want to get started, there are, you know, simple things like, you know, RSF Social Finance, who, you know, they have a social investment fund and they do extraordinary work lending to social mission businesses. And, you know, if you have 10000 if you have $1,000 in a, you know, in your piggy bank or in a local bank or whatever, and you can part, you know, lend it to RSF for three months at a time, that's what I have a bunch of my own money in my IRA doing is it stays at RSF and I know it's being loaned to these businesses and what they do is their mission at RSF is the way that they work with the money as well as the what it's the how, just like you say, Crystal going from, and their way of saying it is going from opaque, anonymous and indirect based on short-term outcomes, which is our dominant 
um, paradigm for money and moving to transparent, personal, and direct based on long-term mm. relationships. Mm. Oh, I love that description. Yes, that is so crucial. I, um, what Are there any other resources? We can also link to them in the post here um, that you would like people to know about or um, direct them towards your website. So um, another organization that does great work around agriculture and money is called Slow Money. And there are chapters all over the country. Um, and those are lending clubs and uh, investing clubs that are trying to bring local money to local enterprise that are seeking to have healthy, you know, farms and farmers. And so that's a really great. And they're also sort of thought leaders in changing, you know, as, as the founder, Woody Tash says, bringing money down to earth. I can also send you all of the links that we um, that we um, give out to people who come to play big. I'm happy okay. to do that. Great. Excellent. I, I just love your enthusiasm and um, passion around this topic. You know, it's, uh, ah, I just appreciate the personal journey that you've gone on to really um, come to such a healthy, joyful, loving relationship with, your own money and activate that and uh, in other people and just see that almost, um, yeah, the many levels that I'm sure your events work with people and engage their minds, body, spirit, and uh, just really uh, create uh, so many ripples of, of good and well-being in the world. And uh, yes, um, any closing thoughts here? No, just thank you for inviting me and thank you for doing this work. You, there, you can't do it enough. You yeah. can't do it too much, I mean. <laughs> oh, well, um, thank you, Marion, for being such a um, part of the emerging new story of what is possible when people connect and align their values with their money and uh, are willing to uh, look at their own money story and transform it and become more engaged and connected uh, with the love that they are. And um, I am just so happy to, uh, to know that you are here doing this work and affecting change in so many ways, which are not only measurable in money, but also all of the benefits and value that you and your projects have brought to the world, um, which is not measurable. And, uh, and keep up the good work. And just um, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom with us here today. For listening. If you like what you heard, the biggest compliment you can give us is to subscribe to the show and rate and review our podcast at iTunes. Be sure to visit www.moneymorphosis.com. That's money-m-o-r-p-h-o-s-i-s.com to join the growing community of empowered women who are dedicated to creating the true wealth they deserve.